0: my self-worth became dictated by the number in that valuation document and whether or not the people who helped me build the company thought it was actually worth it and that I should get to leave with that pot of money.
1: You're listening to Financial Grown-Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're gonna get there together. I'm gonna bring you one money story from a financial grown up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hey, grown ups, if you are like me, you love to read, but if we're being honest, it doesn't happen. The time just flies and the intention does not become reality. So do what I do. Get the intel you want in a way that matches your schedule. I recently started using the Blinkist app, and I love it. It puts the content of books that you want to read into powerful summaries called blinks, usually just a minute at a time. A whole book can be 15 minutes-ish, just like this podcast, right on your favorite device. Text or audio totally fits your lifestyle. I am obsessed. Go to bobbierabelle.com forward slash Blinkist for a free trial and to support the show We are going to be talking about exit strategies because not everything has to be, or should be, forever. And just like when relationships end, they can be messy, so can the end of career phases or business. We talk about startups, but we don't talk a lot about what happens after a venture succeeds and how things play out. Maybe it's not always a forever thing. Welcome all and thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are here. If you are enjoying the podcast, please share it with friends and encourage them to subscribe so we can continue to grow the show. I can't believe we are past episode 200. And we want to hear from you what you want to see in the next 100 or next 200 episodes. Please DM me your thoughts on this episode or on what you want to see on the podcast, on Instagram, I am at BobbiRebell1, or on Twitter at Rebel, And you can email us at hello at financialgrownup.com. Let's get to our guest. She is limitless author and serial entrepreneur, Laura Gassner-Odding. And she is so inspiring because to be a serial entrepreneur, sometimes... You have to leave a business that you built and you love, but the business is ready to thrive without you. Leave the nest, you might say. And that is hard. And as you will hear, it is complicated. Not just emotionally leaving, but financially. Very complicated. Here is Laura Gassner Odding. Hey Laura gassner odding you're a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Hey Bobby, it's great to be here. Well, I am so excited to have you. I loved reading your new book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life, which, by the way, debuted... At number two in the Washington Post. It would have been number one, I'm going to say, but there was some other person there that got
0: in your way. You know, <laughs> a certain very famous person, Laura. A very famous person. If only I could sell nine million more books, I could knock Michelle Obama out of that number one spot. But for now, her book is called Becoming. My book is called Limitless. So together we're becoming limitless.
1: I like it. And Amazon actually pairs them together, which basically means people can buy them together. So we encourage everyone to do that. People should also know you are an entrepreneur a couple of times over, but the big company that you founded is called NPAG. It's the Nonprofit Professionals Advisory Group. A lot of your journey to become a speaker, I should say you're a speaker and an author now, came from selling that company. Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people have exit strategies to sell companies Your exit strategy was a little bit different, and that is the money story that you are going to share with us today. Go for it.
0: So I ran the firm the entire 15 years, not for maximum profitability. You know, I needed to make enough money, right? Like, how do you pay your mortgages, table stakes for everybody? And there's something, the number between the need to make number, the how do you pay your bills, and the want to make number, which is the, you know, do you drive a Hyundai or you drive a Maserati? Do you stay in the Holiday Inn or the Four Seasons? There's a lot of space in between those two numbers, so I ran it for enough money, not maximum profitability, but for maximum legacy, for maximum flexibility, for maximum impact. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to make it a better place, but I also wanted to be present for my family and community um, activity and other things that I was doing. That was how I ran the company. And When it came time to sell the company, we had the company valued by an external uh, source, And then the hard negotiation started, which is when I got kind of stuck because my self-worth became dictated by the number in that valuation document and whether or not the people who helped me build the company thought it was actually worth it and that I should get to leave with that pot of money.
1: Well, there's also the question that if, in fact, you want to leave, but you also are adamant that those people retain control and ownership of it. Do you have to adjust your exit strategy to meet the reality of their financial abilities, of what their financial resources? because if you if you're going buyer first, you wanted them to have it. You have to adjust and maybe someone else could pay more, but that wasn't ultimately your objective,
0: it sounds like. Or maybe they could shut the entire thing down and start it again without me and be just fine, right? I mean, there's a it's very difficult to sell a professional services firm when the leader leaves because there's this question of is the value of the firm with the leader? Is the Rolodex with the leader? Is the, you know, what was the firm synonymous with me? And I felt very confident that in fact it wasn't and that they'd be just fine without me. They were not so sure and they were confident in their work and they were confident in their reach. But you know, you just never know. And that's a pretty big bag to be left holding if all of a sudden I walk out the door and the clients follow me, even though I wasn't still doing the same kind of work. And so I spent a lot of time kind of with my, you know, with with, with my ego in a bunch, thinking about, you know, that I I'm worth this money and that's what the outside advisor says and we should do it. And then my husband turned to me one day and he said, you know, you never ran it for maximum profitability. You ran it to make an impact in the world, to have flexibility in your personal life, to create an institution rather than a cathedral. And he helped me understand that that was the difference between the need and the want, that everything I've ever created as a serial entrepreneur has still existed to this day 25 years later, and I'm really proud of that, that money was only one meaningful way to look at value. And he really helped me understand that I could sell it for enough money which would give me the kind of life I wanted to build and the kind of legacy I wanted to leave. And P.S., the firm has done so well, and probably in small part because I didn't handicap it with this giant financial burden, that they've actually done better than the projections would have said. So I ended up selling the firm to them for $1, selling the firm outright, $1, 100% of the shares and a percentage of revenue for the following five years, which was as far as we all agreed, I could put my fingertips on any possible success. And that percentage of revenue will, in fact, it's on pace four years into the five years to outpace the number that that valuation gave.
1: What is the lesson from this for our listeners?
0: Well, I think the lesson for this is to really think about how you think about value. And are you thinking about short money? I want the cash on the table today. Or how deeply do you feel confident in the in, in the long-term investment?
1: You bet on them to make enough money to, to
0: buy you out by a percentage. But here's the thing, I bet on them for the previous 15 years because I employed them and partnered with them to serve clients on my behalf with my name on the door. So I'd already been betting on them. It was a pretty safe bet.
1: And you also gave them a big boost by not saddling them with the cost of buying you out in advance because they didn't have to either pull money out of the you know, resources of the current company or be hampered by debt payments.
0: And I took a risk on them. They took a risk on me. We were very clear in the writing up of the exit strategy that, you know, if I'm out there and I'm bad mouthing or if if I'm, if I'm supporting other search firms or I'm doing things that are going to get in the way of their success, then the, the agreement is null and void. But I think a lot of this worked because we had invested in each other. In the previous 15 years, we'd gotten to know each other, we believed in each other, and we define success in the same way, not as maximizing payment at every single moment, but in terms of maximizing impact.
1: I do want to get to your everyday money tip because it has to do with
0: something that you should not spend money on. I think we spend a lot of times when big things happen in the world sending teddy bears. We send thousands of teddy bears every time there's a natural disaster. And the truth is that most of those teddy bears get incinerated and the money that we could be spending to ship and store and distribute and yet yeah, incinerate those teddy bears, we could actually be spending on other things like long-term change. And I think that we can apply that to our own lives. You know, We all go to parties. We all go to events. We all have things happen in our lives and we bring along gifts. And a lot of times those gifts are just stuff. So I want us to be more thoughtful about the money that we're spending on all of these gifts that, for the most part, just make us feel better, either our egos or our, you know, our grandmother looking over our shoulder telling us that we have to be polite and you know, not show up empty-handed. And think about what really would matter to the person who you are in service of and be smarter about our money that way.
1: Can you give me a personal example of a gift you've bought for somebody
0: that you really think was on target? Oh boy. A lot of those times they tend to be experiences, spending money on doing things together rather than just giving them another another thing. It will be spending money on tickets to an event that I know somebody is a star that somebody loves and bringing them along with me and sharing time with them personally. I think time is so much more valuable to other people. I mean, that's my love language, right? Is spending time with people and really connecting and being present with them. So I think doing things where we can spend experiences together rather than just spending money together is a great way to spend money smarter. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about your book, which I
1: love as well. One of the themes that you talk about that I think is is really new and not given enough attention is that you talk about attention inventory. Can you explain that
0: concept Yeah. I like to, when people try to ask me, well, you know, how do you find your passion? How do you, you know, people always say, oh, if you do work that matters, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I actually love work. I I know you love your work. Any of your listeners know that you love what you do because we can hear it in your voice and you have passion for it. And so how do you find your passion? You think about the things that you spend your attention on. So if what are the things that you do that nobody pays you to do? What are the things that you do outside of work? Or what are the things that you do at work that are not actually specifically in your job description? That's really where you like to spend your time. And the more time that you spend leaning into the person you are in those times, that's really how you get to do work that you love.
1: Another theme that is in the book that really resonated is you talk about the metrics we use to measure ourselves and, and using the wrong scorecard.
0: So at some point in high school or in college, we were told to pick a major, pick a trade, pick a path, and we were handed a list of metrics of success by which we should value that path. And those metrics were things like the brand prestige of the company or the flexibility or the benefits or how many skills we, acquire, we will acquire, or yes, of course, money. You know, There's a, a bunch of them that I talk about in the book. And they're all given the same weight. And we're told if you make a big salary, if you marry the right person, if you live in the right house, if you drive the right car, you'll be, quote unquote, successful. And yet- we're all so busy chasing that and running on this treadmill and spending more money in order to do those things. To so, you know, spending money on things we don't love to impress people we don't like. That's not a place where we should be spending our time because what that does is it's forcing us to define success as it's given to us by everybody else around us. And it's not until we figure out what success really means for us that we actually will be happy when we find the success. So if you take the metric of money, you might be somebody who likes to go on beautiful cosmopolitan vacations and have breakfast in bed at the Four Seasons Hotel, right? That's going to cost a lot of money. But not a lot of time. You might be somebody who likes to go camping and go out into the wilderness and wake up in the morning over a sunrise, you know, beautiful lake, and make your breakfast on the, you know, on the, on the campfire. That's not going to cost you a lot of money, but it's going to cost you a lot of time. So if you're taking this external definition and just saying, I have to keep going and have to keep getting more salary and more salary and more salary without thinking about what the money means to you, then all that quote-unquote success is going to be meaningless unless it comes with the thing that you want, which actually might be more vacation time instead.
1: Thank you so much, Laura. Where can people learn more about all of your various ventures from your book to your speaking? I love your TED Talk where you talk more about the teddy bear concept. Where can we find out more about you and all your socials too?
0: So it's all the same place on all the socials. All my friends call me LGO. So on all the socials, I'm at Hey LGO, And the website is HeyLGO.com. And if people want to think about how to become limitless and how to figure out what the meaning is to them of all these metrics, they can take a quiz um, at LimitlessAssessment.com. And I'll say that again for the commuters, LimitlessAssessment.com dot com. And it's about 60 questions. It takes about 15 minutes, but it will really give you a sense of where you may be stuck and what's holding you back. And of course, the book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere fine books are sold. All right. I'm going to take the quiz right now. I will report back to everyone. Thank you so much, Laura.
1: Thank you. Before we get to my take on the interview, I just want to share one of my secrets with you guys and some big news. As you know, I read a ton of books, and I love it. Between running my business and all my family stuff, I don't have the time to read all the books that I want, and the book piles on my nightstand have been getting bigger and bigger because I intend to read them, but it just isn't happening. So then I discovered Blinkist. It's an app. It takes all the nonfiction books that I want to read, from classic business books to if we're being honest, books by some of my current top authors that have been here on the podcast, it pulls out all the main points that matter into what they call blinks. They're about a minute long, entire books, 15 minutes, kind of like this podcast. Maybe they were listening to me. I don't know. Anyway, I reached out to them and I am so excited that they are now a partner of the Financial Grown Up Podcast. So please take a minute and go to bobbyrebell.com forward slash blinkist for a free trial by using the link, this is really important. You help to support the show. So thank you, go to BobbiRebell.com forward slash Blinkist. Here we go, financial grown up tip number one. Saying goodbye should not be part of your exit strategy. Exit gracefully, no take this job and shove it obviously, but then work proactively, have a strategy to stay in touch and be remembered and still be maybe part of the social network. Stay connected to colleagues from all stages of your life. That could even include school, and of course, jobs, conferences, and so on. It's easier said than done, but try as much as you can. First of all, it's obviously just nice. Odds are you enjoy their company, but it's also smart business. That former colleague you connect with once a year may think of you for an interesting opportunity. So try to stay top of mind. This could even include being strategically active on social media. Financial grown-up tip number two. If you want to send something, if something tough has happened to somebody, maybe they lost a loved one, maybe they've suffered in some way, reconsider sending stuff just to send stuff. And be aware that sometimes in this age where we don't want to have too much stuff, when you do send stuff, the recipients may feel obligated to keep it. So if you do want to send a thing, not everyone has time or wants to send experiences, maybe consider things that are splurge items that will be used up. For example a gift card. A gift card for a nice restaurant so they can have a break from cooking. Or a credit to a babysitting agency for a guilt-free night out. Or someone, maybe they had a home damaged, say by a flood or some natural disaster or something like that. Maybe a gift card to a home goods retailer could be truly helpful. Something that they may not want to treat themselves to or they may be stretched to afford that alleviates a financial burden. That might be enjoyed and of course, in many cases, guilt-free because it came from you. Those kind of things can be really helpful. Thanks to everyone for joining us and for supporting the show. By example, for leaving reviews. If you have not already, please take a few minutes. I read every one. It really matters. And those reviews are so appreciated. Big thanks to Laura gassner Adding for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grown-ups.